welcome once again to another episode of the Random Access Podcast brought to you by RAPodcast.net. This is episode 116, recorded for Monday, August 31st, 2009. And here are your hosts, the man who leaves on Thursday for PAX, Dave Play. Hi. And the man who leaves on Tuesday for PAX, Andy Lowe. Hi. I noticed you didn't say recorded live. No, because we have a special episode. Well, but this is live. Well, yeah, this this is live because we have to do an intro. So it's the whole thing's not recorded, but this part is. Yes. Well, then couldn't you say recorded live? Sure. Okay, so recorded live on Sunday. today's Sunday. Yeah. yeah, August 30th. Ah, ha, ha. Right. So as Andy said, we do have a, a special episode today. For those who have been to PAX last year, they started doing a kind of a Penny Arcade Indie Developer Awards system called the PAX 10. These are 10 people chosen from out of over 100. There were about 150 submissions this year. And they're chosen on a variety of things, you know, quality of gameplay, innovation, things like that. And then they have a booth at PAX for the PAX 10, where people can go up and see these games and play them. And there's also a basically a viewer's choice award. Everybody packs can vote for their favorite out of the 10 so andy and i decided to go and record an interview with all of the packs 10 unfortunately we could only get eight out of the 10 two of them were too busy to be able to schedule with us a six minute interview it's all right i'm sure their games are good anyways yeah uh this was really andy's project so he's doing most of the interviewing i'm just kind of there for the ride these guys were great. So, and that's all we'll say. Enjoy the interviews. Well, here we are with the first of the 10, PAX 10. Since we're going in alphabetical order, we're going to start off with Carnivale Showtime. And we've got Bruce Chia here to talk about it. Welcome, Bruce. Hello. All right. Hi there. Bruce, first off, could you kind of describe this game a little bit to those who don't have the, uh, who aren't able to play the game? Sure. Um, this game is actually about uh, a ragdoll. Uh, you actually, um, this guy, uh, this ragdoll is named Stinky, and he wants to become the the best acrobat in the in this world called Carnivale, which is a world filled of um, all circuses of all kinds. So basically, um, this game um, you play as this ragdoll, but the twist is that since it's a ragdoll, you can't really control him directly. You actually have to manipulate him using um, the environment. Um, for example, we have uh, props that like uh, grab him and swing him around. And basically, you, you have to make him um, perform his, uh, his stunts and get him through a ring of fire right at the top of the level to pass the level. So it's, it's a really crazy theme, uh, kind of circles, kind of game. And um, we have each, each level has like five different objectives that you can complete. And uh, we have about like 20 levels, including uh, a map editor for custom maps. Yeah. Oh, so you can even you can have you can make your own maps then? Um, yeah, on the Xbox 360, you can um, share maps, but uh, we are actually, um, you know, uh, working on another version for the PC that you you will be able to. Okay, so it's on the Xbox 360 right now, but you're working on a PC version. Right. Um, it's so we actually have a map editor on the Xbox 360, but uh, so you can create your own maps. But uh, right now you just can't share it. Okay. Uh, why did you decide to do it on the uh, Xbox 360? 
So um, we decided to to, to do it on the 360 because of uh, uh, the XNA platform. It was pretty easy to get into, and um, also there was a Dream Build Play competition held by uh, Microsoft. Yeah. And uh, we decided that you know it was a good opportunity for us to um, take part in the competition and see see if, uh, where see see where it could take us. And it it actually surprised us that. We actually came out um, on the first place last year, and that actually got a lot of attention and um, kind of uh, brought the game to where it is today. So we are very, very happy to actually have done that. Yeah. Now, you said uh, us. Who else are you uh, working with? So um, the original team for uh, Carnival Showtime consisted of uh, seven of us. Uh, we have four programmers, um, one producer, one sound designer, and one artist um, who, the artist who also doubled up as a, like a level designer. So, um, yeah, it's basically, uh, we did um, the whole game together uh, for over a period of about um, five months. And, um, yeah, and that was just before um, the Dream Build Play competition. Now, are these, because I'm looking at your uh, your group here, it's a Singapore-MIT Gambit Games Lab. What is what is that? So, um, the Singapore-MIT Gambit Games Lab is a, is a collaborative uh, initiative uh, between the Singapore government and MIT. Uh, we want to basically build uh, games based on research, and um, that's where MIT comes in. We, we try to we try to build games around um, research topics such as like um, uh, you know design, um, such as uh, technical uh, research. We we have one game um, last year that was based on stuff like automatic rigging, and this year, and also one one game last year called Acrasia, which was um, for example uh, based on the the concept of addiction. So it it's very. Um, we're trying to we're trying to build games that are kind of like an edge of um, of, uh, of 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 the of the we're trying to explore explore what other things like um, games can do. Okay, because I, I was thinking originally that this was oh I, what some other people have been doing is tech demos that are t- turned into games. I'm guessing you were kind of almost going at a, another way of doing it, where you take the games and think, okay, what can the games do? If I'm reading um, you correctly. Yeah, I guess it goes. Uh, we are quite open to that uh, because we we really want to explore like the boundaries of of the game. So, uh, so we we are we we basically accept proposals from researchers, and um, based on their proposals, we we try to make games out of them. So um, that that's that's kind of how we are set up. Okay, now our my last question. I've been wanting to ask everybody this, but. Um... In closing, why do you think that you should win the PAX 10? Wow, okay. Uh, I think we should win the PAX 10 because probably we have uh, a very, very polished game and uh, it's pretty innovative. And uh, hopefully everybody out there um, would think that, you know, uh, there's not many like circus teams games out there and and um, we hope that, you know, this game can can sort of uh, make you feel like an acrobat, and you you enjoy that kind of feeling. 
Oh, yeah, I have. I grabbed the demo of it right before uh, talking with you, and I would, I'm definitely going to be getting the actual full game once we're done here. But well, that was Bruce Chia. Bruce, thank you very much for that, and uh, I will look forward to actually meeting with you in person. Are you going to be at PAX? Yeah, I am. Oh well, then I uh, will. Also cool. I'm also excited to to be there. Well, I will uh, gladly see you at PAX then. Sure. And here we are with the next one on the list, since we're going in alphabetical order. We have Tyler here to talk about closure. Tyler, thank you for coming on to discuss your game. Hi, you're welcome. Um, thanks for interviewing me. Um, now, if you could, is there a way you could give a brief description of the game for those who haven't played it? All right, sure. Um, closure is a puzzle platformer game where it's basically in complete darkness with a few little light bulbs or orbs lighting up the way. And the, uh, the catch here is that the only stuff that actually exists is what's in the light. So uh, you can actually get rid of walls by simply removing the light that's shining on them or make holes in the ground by removing the light or even by having a light move upwards, you can create an elevator. So it creates a whole ton of interesting interactions between the player and the environment. Now, where did this idea come from? Uh, it, it sort of popped into my head during a brainstorming session because I, uh, with the new version of Flash, they had put the ability to put graphics shaders in it, and I made one that turned an image black and white. And I was like, huh, how can I use this in a game because it's a cool effect? And uh, that's what we came up with was uh, everything that's in the light is what exists. And we developed it from there. Now, who is uh, we? Um, mostly myself, and then I brought an artist in sort of after, uh, after I'd flushed out the concept and done some levels. I got uh, one of my online friends, John Shuby, to do the art. And uh, we worked together from there. Okay. So I'm guessing so you, did you, you... Go ahead, Did Dave. you do most of the coding and then he did the artwork for it? Yeah, I did most. I did all the coding and the level design and then he did the artwork and put art in the levels and stuff. Now, looking at your website, I'm guessing this is not your first game because you have, what, 30 on there? Like 50? <laughs> They're... Uh, the games on my website, they're not exactly all as impressive as Closure. There's a couple that are pretty good, in my opinion. But it's mostly just a timeline of pretty much everything I've ever done since I was 11. And it's sort of just up there as a neat way to show the progress I've made throughout the years as opposed to actually be like a collection of games people would want to play. Now, 11, were you doing this stuff for like for school or was this... Just on uh, I just doing it for fun. <laughs> so no gamer, no gamer classes in middle school. No, none in middle school, none in high school. So wow. you you're uh, self-taught, pretty much. What's your favorite language? Um, I like C plus plus a lot. It's a very nice language to learn in. It's too bad Flash doesn't support it, but that's what I learned originally. And lately, I've just been loving working in something other than Flash because 
C++ is a lot better language. But closures in Flash just because of that whole gradient thing, right? Yeah, and because I didn't know C++ very well at the time. So you, you could port it if you really wanted to. That's what I'm doing right now. Oh. There's a new version of the game coming out, completely remade from the ground up in C++. It's basically a full version. So is, is it going to have the, the same exact levels, or are you redesigning all the levels for it as well? Um, I'm redesigning all the levels, adding new mechanics, redesigning the graphic style. Basically taking everything people didn't like about the first game and revising it or throwing it out and taking everything people liked about it and expanding on it and adding some more original concepts in it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I am just curious because I'm, I'm stuck on level 13. What, what were some of the complaints about the game? Um, people complain that they are getting stuck on level 10, which was the first one that actually had a puzzle. I actually did remake that level for the new version of it to clarify what you're actually supposed to do in that level. Um, People complained a lot about trying to jump off of sloped surfaces while running because it kind of halted up a little bit and sometimes you'd press jump and your guy wouldn't jump. So I fixed that already. Um, There's a lot of other stuff where people complained about something different and I could trace it back to a, a cause that people didn't really realize was the actual cause of that problem so i've added things like showing paths that the pedestals take and uh, other miscellaneous effects just to sort of clarify what the level actually looks like but the the pedestals was half the fun just trying to figure out where the pedestal was going yeah it's actually a lot better when it actually shows their path huh andy has a warped sense of entertainment sometimes yeah, I mean, the first game, there was a lot of guesswork in the first game, and I wanted to uh, be able to clear out a lot of the guesswork for the new game so that I can focus on making puzzles that are more about figuring out the solution rather than trying to guess which path is going to take you to the end. Well, I'm, last question. I've asked all the PAX 10 people about this. Um the question is, why do you think your game should win the PAX 10? Well, I haven't actually played any of the other game or many of the other games in the PAX 10 yet, but I'm naturally biased towards my own game. Understandable. And uh, I think that a lot of people like it from what I've shown from who, from who I've shown it to, and. Um, I'm going to be showing off the uh, the big new version of the game at the PAX instead of the Flash version that I'd submitted, which people are loving so far. And uh, it's a fairly original concept, I guess. I haven't really seen much else out there like it. Well, that's good to hear. So I'm guessing you're, you're going to be definitely at PAX and if you're showing off the new hardware. Yeah. And I well, thank you very much, Tyler, for the interview. And mm-hmm, you're welcome. We'll, we'll, we'll see you at PAX. Yeah. Okay. See you guys there too. And here we are with our next interview. Actually, the interview with the only well, iPhone iPod Touch game. And we have Ash here talking about Field Runners. Ash, good to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. Now the the iPhone iPod Touch. Mm-hmm. Why'd you go with that platform? 
Well, that's actually an interesting uh, little story. I'll, I'll try to be brief, but I, uh, we've been all working together for quite a while. Uh, I've known uh, Sergey and Jamie for, for a few years now. And originally, um, we were trying to get together, and we were originally going to try to do a title for XVLA, and it was a completely different title. Uh, Sergey and Jamie have a, a long background in RTS games, uh, making them for like Empire Earth uh, and, and other such titles. And so the, the first thing what they wanted to do as a, as a first project was to do something completely different. Well, you know, we, it, was a, it was a really exciting idea, but you know, we weren't getting very much traction uh, because even with XBLA, you still have to go through something called concept approvals, where basically you have to submit your idea to Microsoft and then they weigh to see whether that fits their portfolio or whether that's an interesting title to them. And based off that process, you know, you can get, you know, they can change your title, you can uh, get rejected. It's a, it's a long, long involved process. And so we were going through that process and that's when we we were about in the middle of that when we heard about the iPhone, iPod Touch, and the new app store that was being announced. And one of the, the features we understood of that was that there were no concept approvals. It's an open market. So if you created a game, um, got the SDK, you could release to it. And so you know, we, we ended up changing our focus and then going after the iPhone, iPod Touch. Now, uh, for most people who don't know what a tower defense game is, could you describe Field Runners and what a tower defense game is? Sure, sure. A tower defense game is kind of at the root, one of the core elements of an RTS in general. So what you have is you have uh, a group of enemies who are trying to reach their destination, uh, say the far side of the map. And what the player does is they place towers which can defeat the enemies in their path. Sometimes the path is fixed, sometimes the path is uh, free-flowing, but uh, you're able to create an array of towers, upgrade them potentially, uh, to stop your enemies over increasingly difficult waves. I have never actually been a fan of tower defense games. No offense, but it's oh, none, none taken. Have you have, have you tried Field Runners? Um, I have not. I'm actually a... neither of us have an iPhone. Yeah, or an iPod <laughs> Touch. I've I've got a BlackBerry. Dave's got a a G1. G1. So. Do you guys have any other gaming systems? Oh, like, uh, mobile gaming systems. Wouldn't be much of a, a gaming podcast if we didn't. Well, I, well, I get that. Well, well actually, uh, mobile gaming platforms, I am not. Andy stays away from the mobile. I have a DS. Okay. As well as PC, 360, PlayStation 2, and a Wii. Okay. Well, you know, I, I'm happy to an- announce, you know, uh, both, you know, you know, on this podcast and, and elsewhere that, uh, you know, Field Runners is coming to other platforms. So you Ooh. will be seeing it on the new, uh, on the PSP. Uh, we're coming out on the new Minis channel. For the PSP, so any PSP can download it. Uh, we'll be also, you know, especially the PSP Go, but mm-hmm. any PSP can download it. And we'll also, uh, we're also announcing that we're coming out for the uh, DSi as well. Very so, nice. Yeah, so definitely, you know, if, if you don't have an iPod or an iPhone, don't worry. We'll be coming out uh, to, to more platforms soon. And so those are the two we're announcing. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll hear more from us in terms of announcements in the next coming months. We're looking forward to it. I do have a question for you. Given your, your choice of platform, did you have any 
problems whatsoever with the Apple approval process. No, no, we really didn't. Um, Apple's been a great partner, kind of, you know, very much empowering. So they, they pretty much say, here is, you know, the keys to the kingdom. Go have fun. Here's the SDK. You know, the only the only kind of I wouldn't even say it's the only the only request if, that we could ever ask of Apple. And we totally understand why they can't. It's just if they could, you know, kind of uh, just be able to be, you know, a little more responsive to inquiries. But, you know, they've been a great supporter, a great promoter of us. Uh, we've been very happy with their support. Um, and the reason that they're, they're not more responsive than they already are, I mean, you can obviously file issue tickets. It's just, you know, with, with a store that has, you know, over, you know, 30,000 games and 50,000 apps, they're really busy. So, <laughs> you know, we can't expect them to, you know, uh, answer all our emails. But um, they, they do what they can, and they've been uh, really great partners. Now, is this your first game? That you've written and to completion or no? Um, this is the first game that Subatomic has published. Each of us, we've all been in the game industry for you know several years now. Um, like I said, um, Sergey and Jamie, they worked uh, at a couple studios and and worked on games such as Empire Earth. I used to work at uh, EA and uh, Bioware Pandemic uh, and Atari. So we we all have you know we all come from uh, you know a you know, background of, of making video games. But this is the first one, this is the first kind of, you know, game that we've all produced together as a group. All right, now for the, the final question, I've always, I'm asking all the groups this. So I'm kind of curious, why do you think your game should win the PAX 10? Why do we think our game should win the PAX 10? Yes. It is the best tower defense game out there. It's just a lot of fun. And uh, we really think that the, our fans have really have been great supporters of us, and uh, we've listened to them, and we're just going to keep on making great games. And uh, we hope that kind of earnestness and uh, kind of dedication to, to fun and gameplay kind of wins the day. All right. Well, thank you very much for the interview. I'm guessing you're going to be at PAX this year? We will. We'll be, we'll be there all three days. Please stop by the booth. Say hi. We're, we'll have a, actually be, we'll be giving away um, swag bags. So... Mm-hmm. We'll be giving away free Field Runner posters, uh, a custom-made uh, Cubicraft Field Runner, and uh, and uh, and a sticker, no. all in within a little little bag. So no, we'll, no iPod Touch. Uh, we got to keep it budget somehow, but uh, I think you guys will be will be happy with with the handouts. It'll be it'll be good stuff. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for the interview, and I guess we'll see you there. All right. Thank you. And here we are with the PAX 10 interview with the only entry on the Wii. We have Nick here with Light. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Is it actually called Light? That's how we pronounce it. Yep. Okay. I don't know what the two eyes would be. A hard eye would be Light. Yeah, there was a lot of debate, but uh, I've never called it anything other than Light. So that's just what we call it around here. All right. So those of us who don't have a Wii, I'm raising my hand. What is Light? Light is uh, a puzzle solving game. It's an abstract puzzle solving game where you use lights, kind of like uh, the light from a flashlight. You use lights to solve puzzles, and as you solve the puzzle, it generates music based on different techno tracks. So every time you solve a puzzle, it makes a different techno song. So it's got uh, four main components to it. One of them is the puzzle solving. You get a hundred levels to solve. It comes with a level editor to make all your own puzzles. You can use the Wii's uh, Wii Connect 24 features to share puzzles with your friends. And then in addition to those modes, there's 
uses another mode called nonstop mode, which is more of an action puzzler, kind of like Tetris. It uses the same kind of game mechanics, except that the targets are appearing and you're trying to erase them and not let too many of them build up. It's like a whole other, it's almost like a second game. So that is light in a nutshell. Where did you come up with this idea? I was doing some art contracting for another uh, local game studio, and uh, one of my friends that worked there had put together sort of a, uh, a light demo where he had like this, this sort of stencil buffer shadow casting thing going on. They were going to turn into like a tank game, and they were asking for ideas about what to do with it, and I put forth a bunch of sort of non-tank game ideas, and one of them was light, um, basically. I'd made like a little a little screenshot of like how a puzzle would work, and they were kind of like, uh, it's a cool idea, but uh, because I was a contractor, they asked me not to submit any game ideas, so I just kind of kept it for myself, and then when I decided to start making games instead of just doing art, that was one of the games that was easiest for me to make with a really small team. It was a really ideal first game, basically. Very simple. How many people were on the team that produced Light? Well, there's me and uh, one other guy. I do everything but the code, and then I have uh, one of my best friends from high school is doing the code for it. So there's just the two of us. My wife helps out a little bit. She turns out I'm in luck because she's a uh, a regular old software engineer. So whenever we get stuck, she helps us out. (laughs) And then uh, we also have uh, middleware that we licensed. Um, It's called Virtuals. We get it from, uh, it's it's a French company and uh, they've been really helpful. So sometimes it feels like we have four people, but most of the work is done by just the two of us. Now, how how do you program for the Wii? Because I've I've seen all these Wii games coming out with everybody. Is it? Well, we don't really do a lot. You know, I I mean, I used to, so I used to work for Nintendo before I I quit and started contracting. So I have some experience on the GameCube and on the Wii, which are essentially identical. But as an artist, I'm not exposed too much to the programming. I'm just kind of familiar with a lot of the sort of Nintendo way of doing things and that sort of thing. And also with the way Nintendo handles its graphics on the Wii and the the GameCube. But working with our middleware, the whole point of it is sort of to abstract that. So honestly, I can't really answer that question as far as Wii-specific stuff goes because our middleware is, is like a PC application. You make it once for the PC and then you can deploy it to either um, WiiWare or the 360 or the PSP. So it's one of those things where you're supposed to be able to make your game once and then go out multi-platform. And because of that, it kind of protects us from a lot of the uh, intricate workings of the actual hardware. Now, do you have plans to take light multi-platform? I'm not really sure. Um, A lot of people have um, said that we should put it on iPhone. It's certainly certainly a good match for the iPhone as far as being like a bite-sized puzzle game kind of goes, you know, where like a portable system is really great for the kind of things where you can pick it up, do something that takes two minutes, and then put it away. Uh, And Light definitely has that element to it. I don't know if we'll be just sick of working on it by the time we're done or if we'll want to move on to something else or what. We'll see. I don't know. It depends on how easy it is to port it over to iPhone, um, how the controls would work. We made it specifically for the Wii. Um, It's really heavily reliant on the Wiimote as a cursor, and it uses Wii Connect 24, and uh, it's just sort of designed from the ground up to be a Wii game. It wouldn't take too much you know, arm twisting to get it on another platform, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure what have we're going to do next. Have you considered a PC release? We've considered that too. That would be the easiest one of all to do. And as a matter of fact, we, before we, when we first started Light, we made it on the PC and essentially finished it on the PC just for the sole purpose of showing it to Nintendo to get our developer's license. Uh. So we have a PC version of it. It only has 25 puzzles and you can't share, but you can do the creating and it works really well. But now we have, you know, 
our, our new version that our, our middleware could potentially make a PC version. I think we might we might look into something like that. It's hard to tell. I think our first thing to do would be to make sure we get it into all the Nintendo markets. I'd like to make sure it gets into the European market, and that's going to be a challenge for us, too. Be a challenge to get into the European market? Well, just because we'll have to translate it, and, and uh, I'm not sure how well we'll be able to handle that. There's, there's not a lot of text in our game, but I'm not sure how uh, how much forethought we put into translating it. With the uh, North American release, the only thing you're required to translate is the manual. You have to have it in Spanish and French. Oh. But there's like seven languages for the European version, and the game has to, I think parts of the actual in-game stuff will have to be translated. So depending on how well we're able to go through with that, hopefully it'll be kind of a slam dunk. I mean, I would expect it to be, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll see what kind of changes we have to make. Never thought of that, how you'd have to translate You'd still it. localize it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, when I was at Nintendo, I was a user interface specialist. So another thing you kind of think about too is when you translate into German, everything is bigger and nothing fits anymore. It's another one of those things where you just got to keep looking out for it. But yeah, I don't suspect it would be that hard to do, but uh, that'll probably be the first thing we do before we start thinking about a PC version of it. Cool. All right. Now, Nick, the one question I've been asking all of the PAX 10 people is why do you think your game should win the PAX 10? So, so can you really, can you win the PAX 10? Is it, you mean the Audience Choice Award? Yes. That's yeah. Why should we win the PAX 10? Hmm. That's a good question. I haven't played the other games and I'm too honest to say that it's the best without having played them. But I know that uh, Light is typically, I mean, compared to a lot of other indie games, it's a very complete game. Hopefully people don't play it and, and have it feel like an indie game. I mean, it should feel like a unique experience, but it, it's very full-featured and well-rounded and polished. So I hope that people uh, appreciate that. Also, I think the nonstop mode that I was talking about earlier is really good. I mean, like, I'm pretty proud of that. I play that I'm going to be playing that all the time, even after even after I'm done making it, because it's, it's pretty sweet. I really like it. <laughs> all right, Nick. Well, thank you very much. I'm guessing you're going to be at PAX this year. I'll be there, chained to my booth 24-7. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully not, because the expo hall isn't open 24-7. That's true. I should probably do something about that chain. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll try and stop on by with some uh, cutters and let you out. That would be awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to see you guys. Come on by and play. Oh, we'll do. Well, thank you very much, Nick. Yeah, thank you. And here we are with our next interview, all the way from the Czech Republic, actually. We have Jacob with Machinarium. Did I get that right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> now, for those who haven't played the game, Jacob, is there where you could give us a description about it? Uh, well, it's a 2D point-and-click adventure game with a lot of puzzles. Uh, it's all hand-drawn, and um, what else? Quickly. It's about uh, it's about a little robot that's been thrown out uh, to the scrapyard behind the town of Machinarium, and he's coming back to the city, and he must defeat bad guys from Black Cap Brotherhood and save save this, uh, the town and save his uh, rescue his robot girlfriend and uh, the world of Machinarium is, is a world populated only by robots so it's it's game about uh, little little funny robots now I was looking at it all those are hand drawn images yeah everything is hand drawn and. Uh, finished uh, in a computer and hand animated, which is a strange term, but uh, we, are, we are doing all the animations uh, carefully for each action, so there's a lot of, lot of animations. Now, how big of a team is actually working on this? Because I'm guessing you're not doing this all by yourself. Uh, not at all. <laughs> uh, we are seven people right now. I'm designer and director. And we have two animators, one artist, uh, one programmer, one sound maker, and one musician. So 
seven people. Now, is is this the the first game that you guys have done, or do you, have you done previous games before this? Uh, we did uh, other more smaller games, flash flash web games. Uh, the most popular one is uh, called Samarost and Samarost 2. But Machinarium is our first uh, full-size game, which we work on uh, three years already. So it's our biggest project so far. How long do you do you expect a, a session of Machinarium to last? How long from beginning to end? Because it looks uh, like an incredibly complex and large game. Yeah. I, I think uh, it's quite quite difficult to estimate it, but uh, I guess it will be something between eight and ten hours of gameplay. It depends on on uh, player, of course, because some puzzles are quite hard. Also, it depends if you if you will uh, cheat or not, because there are two two kinds of uh, uh, hints. There are simple hint system. Uh, if you don't know what to do, you can you can click on hint icon and it, you will know just a little and there is also a hand-drawn walkthrough of the game so if you are really stuck you can use the walkthrough but it's it's also not so easy to use it but basically you can can use it and uh, if you want you can you can finish the game quicker but uh, it would be a shame <laughs> yeah it's, it's not as fun when you have to use the walkthrough yeah, it's it's only if you are really stuck because mm-hmm. the game won't be won't be easy. A lot of uh, nowadays adventure games are very very easy, so you don't need to think <laughs> about puzzles at all. And we wanted wanted to be the hard game. Now, so, where did, where did the idea come from? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, we we just wanted to create another um, little strange little weird adventure game and we wanted to try hand-drawn backgrounds this time because our previous game Summerost, uh, it's also 2D uh, but uh, it was created you know, with a different technique. Uh, the backgrounds were collages from actual photographs but this time it's all hand-drawn. So, and uh, we also wanted the, the main character to be a little, um, I don't know how to say, to, to have some more functions and the robots was perfect for this. So we created Robot World. And of course I, I like robots and uh, I like uh, old uh, science fiction books and movies and uh, games. So, so it's probably inspired by uh, many books, films, uh, games. Do you, ha- do you have any specific what, examples? Okay, for, uh, let's say from from Books I I like uh, Ray Bradbury or or Stanislav Lem uh, and many others <laughs> I can't remember right now but and I also love, love a lot of uh, older adventure games from Lucas Arts and from Sierra and, and oh yeah the uh, the, the King's uh, Quest yeah uh, I, I see yeah. definite King's Quest and Space Quest uh, influences on here and. Monkey Island yeah, and yeah, oh, there's a lot, lot, lot of things. Yeah. Neverhood and Mist and uh, many many things. Goblins. There will be a huge list of things what inspired us. All right, now uh, Jacob, our last question. I've been asking all of them the same question. Why do you think your game should win the PAX Ten? 
<laughs> uh, I'm not sure if, if it should win, but uh, I, I don't think uh, our game is for masses, but uh, we are more interested in really passionate uh, followers or players, because we, we want uh, just some uh, part of audience to really love it. And that we will be happy if, if this will be true. <laughs> now, are you going to be at PAX this year or no? Yes, I'm going to. Well, I um, thank you very much for the interview, and I will gladly look at this and chat with you more about this at PAX, because I'm I've always had a thing about adventure games, so this is right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, great, great. Please come to our booth, and uh, I will show you more. <laughs> Certainly. We look forward to seeing you there. Yeah, thank you. And here we are with the next one on the list, Osmos by Hemisphere Games, and we've got Eddie Boxerman here with us. Thank you, Eddie, for showing up. My pleasure. Thank you. Now, for those of you who don't know, is, is it actually Osmos? Is that how it's? That's right. Okay. Those of you who uh, don't have Osmos, could you kind of give a brief description of what the game's like? Sure. It's kind of a, a chill, zen game. It's as much about the, the ambiance as it is about the gameplay, but the gameplay is still like, you know, front and center. I'm a physics programmer at heart, so I'm going to start with, with the core physics. It's basically conservation of mass, conservation of momentum. You fire out pieces of yourself to propel yourself, sort of like a rocket, a very slow, chill rocket. And yeah, your goal is to absorb other things in the uh, in the landscape around you. And so by firing out mass, you can propel yourself, but you also shrink yourself. And you need to be bigger than something to eat it. So you've got this sort of natural balance. Uh, it's almost like a resource management game where your resource is your own body or your mass as well as your momentum and you have to sort of plan your route and economize uh, your propulsion as a result of that and so you get this balanced gameplay and then we start mixing it up so there's basic levels which are chill ambient where you just there's things all around some smaller some bigger and you just gotta work your way up the food chain and then there's some games that are very gravity based and everything's orbiting the central attractor and those are pretty wild and then there's some more puzzly levels which are very densely packed there's some levels with uh, where you're up against AIs that have the same abilities as you and then it becomes really kind of like this you know a little petri dish you know Darwinistic type of competition so yeah that's uh, and all the while very chill electronic soundtrack now where, where did this idea come from because I'm very curious to hear this yeah it's a good question it really came to me while I was doing the dishes one evening but I mean that said I've got a long background in physics programming bachelor in mechanical engineering masters in applied math computer science deformable modeling. So this stuff is kind of my bread and butter. And uh, the idea of mixing this propulsion and shooting out bits of yourself just comes from the deformable modeling bit, whereas I took a, a course in spacecraft dynamics at some point. And so the idea of mixing that with gravity and you know these large systems sort of all mixed together in my head and sort of just came out as like two fundamental gameplay mechanics, which is that, you know, conservation of mass and propulsion and the gravity stuff. And then it was like, oh, wow, that's I just <laughs> in my head realized that should work just because of the natural balance there. 
And then I just started iterating and prototyping and uh, it grew from there. Now, were you the only one working on this or no? It started as a hobbyist project. It was pretty much just me for the first year or so, part-time evenings and weekends, playing around with it. And then a friend of mine who's an artist uh, got involved. Uh, he helped out uh, Kun Chang. He did some really uh, beautiful work on the moats and that stepped it up a big notch from the programmer art that was in there before. And then another friend of mine, Andy, who's a super keen gamer and now he's a prof in CompSci, so he's got the skills to, to program as well. He helped out for uh, the... I we submitted twice to the IGF. The first IGF submission didn't get recognized. Second one got like, you know, the four nominations and that was when it took off. But my friend uh, Andy helped out for the first, for, for a couple months on the, the first IGF submission. And then another uh, old roommate and good friend of mine, Dave, uh, Dave Burke, hopped on about a year ago for the second IGF submission and he's been on since then. And so we're pretty much like a two-man team at this point with uh, a couple other guys like Kuhn and Andy who sort of pop in from time to time and just sort of give their two cents or a little hand. The music in the game, I have to have to say when I was playing it in that I just had I had to switch off of my headset and actually to my actual headphones to really get the the vibe going on there what was where'd you get all this music good question you know the game started off it's always been very music focused for some reason I guess I'm fairly music focused as well the first prototype I put together took me about two weeks and I'd say I spent over a week of that time just messing around with the music I actually started doing some mixing myself sort of try to construct a song but I was listening to a lot of ambient electronica then and still am now and uh uh, so I'm just sort of already familiar with the terrain there. The first track that really grabbed me that I thought, oh, this will go perfect with the game was uh, Lost Skill, uh, the song Lucy Dub. And then um, I started searching from there. I was actually listening to the last FM, music like Lost Skill. And I discovered Gas, Matt Jarvis music. He's been awesome. He, you know, as soon as I contacted him, he's been like sort of involved really nicely as well. He was really, really cool about it, has been involved since. So yeah, he contributed to songs, uh, one under his gas moniker, one under high skies. Uh, and then again, last FM, I discovered Julian Nito that way. And there's two of his songs in there. And I knew Biosphere from before and his music uh, worked really well for some of the levels. And there you have it. So starting with a, just a love for that kind of music and then a little last FM. The joys of the internet. <laughs> it is. The, the, if you like this, you will probably also like this was an awesome way to discover music. And there was other music that I was considering as well, but indie game budget, you can't, uh, you can't have like 20 songs in the soundtrack. Did you, Eddie, did you fund this out of your pocket? Yep. All out of pocket. Yeah, no, it was evenings and weekends, working full time, and this was on the side. That said, the funding was, you know, I kept it to a bare minimum. It was mostly time. And everyone who worked on the project up until this year, so the first like two and a half years of the project, all contributed their time. Uh, my friend Kuhn, Andy, and Dave were all just like, all right, we'll figure something out. Let's just, uh, you know, they were just happy to help, honestly, and super grateful for that, including the musicians for the IGF submissions. They were all like, cool, go ahead and use the music for the submission to the competition. If you start selling the game, we'll talk. And so it was great. And so my my budget was basically, you know, my hardware and, you know, getting a website. Uh, There's a few things, but the, the costs were actually, you know, out of pocket expenses were very low. All right. Now, to, yeah. the, the final question I've been asking everybody this is why do you think you should win the PAX 10? <laughs> I don't necessarily think... Osmos should win. There's some great games in there. I hope we do. I, I won't try. I, you know, I'm really, <laughs> I'm not going to try to sell it as the winner of those 10. Um, there's there's some great games in there. I think we've got a, you know, a good chance. Like, I think Osmos is a great game. I'll enjoy it anyways, even after having stared at it for three years. But yeah, uh, honestly, we're just, we're really happy. Wait, it was an honor just 
being nominated. Well, well congratulations on the nomination. Yes, thank Thanks. you very much for the interview, Eddie. Um, oh, well, I'm guessing you're going to be at PAX since there's only two of you. Well, actually, this is uh, really cool. I'm going to see Dave, who's yeah lives in Toronto and who's been on it for the last year. But my friend Andy, who's in New York now, uh, I mean, he's been you know still involved over the last year or two, more just more casually. But he's going to come out. He's going to come down to PAX as well, just because he really wants to come to PAX. And so this is going to be the first time the three of us are in the same place at the same time in over five years. Wow. Uh, nice. So we've, yeah, we've all been working sort of remotely, you know, like just Skype, email, uh, whatnot. So this is really cool. So it's a gathering of a few friends for PAX. And uh, yeah, we're going to be on the floor there. Pretty excited. Oh, we'll see you there. Been, Great. Thanks. See you guys. Are you going to swing by? Oh, yeah. Cool. It'll be nice to meet you. Oh, nice to meet you too. Well, thanks again, Eddie, for the interview. My pleasure. Thank you. And our next PAX 10 interview, we're actually going all the way out to Copenhagen, Denmark, for t- a chat with Daniel talking about Puzzle Bloom. Daniel, thanks for coming. No problem. <laughs> it's always interesting to have these international conversations. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, tell me about it. We've got Singapore, we've got the Czech Republic, yeah, Australia yeah. from time to time. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's got to be terrible with Australia. I mean, it's isn't that... They're- Approximately fun guys. 12 hours. No, I'm, no I'm, I don't mean Australia. Oh, yeah, I'm no, no. More, uh... the, the time difference is yeah, we're yeah. exactly 12 hours off of the western uh, sea of Australia. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it'll be like 2 in the morning for them and 2 in the afternoon for us. So completely inconvenient. Now, for those of you who haven't played Puzzle Bloom, do you think you can give a brief description about it? Yeah, I mean, well, the title sort of gives it away is, uh, partially. It is it is a puzzle game, but the setting of the game is that you play this tree fairy that travels around on these floating islands, but in order to interact with the environment, this fairy has to sort of climb on the, on the shoulder of these ape or bear-like creatures and then guide them around. So it's very much that you control someone who controls another one, so it, it becomes very much about finding these bears and sort of arranging them to solve these puzzles. Now, where did the idea for this come from there? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was, it was uh, very much um, a brainchild of, of our designer, and he really wanted to do, um, to do this sort of possession game. I don't know if you remember, there's, there was a game in the late 90s, I think, called Messiah. We played um, an angel, and this angel could possess sort of the villains in the game and use them as henchmen. And I mean, that's that was his original idea. And then I spent some time uh, sort of trying to convince him to maybe put it in a, in a less sinister setting where you wouldn't sort of make people do stuff against their will and instead make it more that you're actually helping the, the creatures that you possessed. So I think that was, that was where the, the inspiration came from. So who... Who is this designer like? I'm guessing now that you haven't done this game entirely on your own. Oh no no no! We're um, actually we're uh, a university team. We um, it's it's sort of a, a joint production between uh, several universities in Denmark called the Danish Academy for Digital Interactive Entertainment. So they they sort of put people together, and we were actually I think we were 13 people peak, and while well, we were together for a month and a half, most of us. So how long did it take you to produce this game from start to finish? Well, the the programmers built some of the framework in, like, they spent half a month building that, and then, well, the rest of it was pretty much done in a month. Nice. Is yeah, there was also, like, a, a month of, um, of perpetual crunch, so... By the end of it, we were all very tired and very, very exhausted. So, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't something we do all the time. Uh, so, yeah. So, this Danish Association of Interactive 
entertainment. Did I get that right? Yeah, it's it's basically uh, it's. I mean, the the abbreviation is uh, D A D I U D A D I U, um, and it's it's just. I mean, they they work uh, as a part of so like the, the a government funded program to to make um, the universities focus more on um, on game productions. So okay, so is. I'm guessing this wouldn't be your first game then. Well, I I made a, some games before, but this was the first game we made as a group. Some of us had been in, in other groups before, but we were shuffled around and, and most of us were working together for the first time. Now, what language did you program this in? Um, it's it's programmed in uh, in Unity, um, all of it. So um, and and we use, I mean, Unity. You could either so like we could output it as a as a standalone um, executable or as a web player. And and we we chose to 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 sort of um, have it on on the web player. So so people could just access the web page and then and then play the game in the browser. You're trying to be sneaky so I can play it at work. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we had a we had a lot of fun uh, developing it, and and I mean, it was I we we chose the web play also because we we were very much intent on um, on getting this game as publicly uh, broadcasted as possible, and we figured that people would be more willing to play a game that they could play directly in the browser than having to download some shady executable from a Danish uh, game site. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I I personally probably wouldn't do that. <laughs> That is true. You think about it—a foreign website and downloading. Yeah, yeah. it's an interesting yeah. choice for a, or an interesting reason to choose the language because you don't want to make the executable. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, of course there are other other options. Our, our programmers were absolutely um, crazy about developing in it. Um, they we previously used some some a bit more advanced game engines, and they it typically resulted in the programmers having to solve all kinds of like hassles just to do minor stuff. So it was really easy to uh, to get to get uh, working on Unity. Now, okay, so the last question I've, I've asked all the packs on this question. Oh yeah. So why do you think your game should win the packs? I personally think it's. I mean, it's a, it's a really nice game, and I mean, we're nice people. <laughs> no, I um, I mean, it's. I, I I think that the competition's pretty stiff, and I've I've played some of the other games, and and they all seem pretty gorgeous. So, but yeah, I'm just hoping that uh, people like our game and enjoy it. And it's it's also it's it's still it's it's free to access on the internet, and and everyone can play it. So that's actually what we're hoping for. Just as many people play it as possible, and then then we're happy as well. Very nice. Now, are you going to be at PAX? Yeah, actually, we're um, we're going to attend it for people. The the designer, uh, yes, his name is yes, <laughs> and then uh, two of the programmers, uh, Robert and Kuba, and then well, me who was functioning as project manager. So well, we look forward to seeing you there. Of course. Oh, you you all attending? Yep. Oh, very nice. So yeah, come by and say hi. Oh, we'll do. Well, thank all you right. very much. Uh, no problem. And, and uh, yeah, I guess uh, see you at PAX then. All right, here we are with our final PAX 10 interview, since we're going in alphabetical order. This one was kind of a surprise to me, but we're going to talk with Andy Hall about it. What's bothering Carl? Andy, what's bothering Carl? Oh, I can't give that away. (laughs) 
that's the whole point of the product is to find out through the story. But basically, the uh, the project is a um, it's an interactive children's book. It's a picture book, basically. It's interactive for kids like ages three to five, say. So it's this this one seemed to me to be the most left field of the because inter- it's an interactive story. I granted I had a chance to wander through the story. It was kind of fun. I do have to say the music videos. Whose idea was to put music videos in the middle of the book? Well, it was me. I mean, I was actually the only person uh, working on the project, and I figured actually that it that it kind of needed um, something to break it up from just reading. I mean, I wanted to take advantage of the fact that it was on the computer and not just a regular book, and it seemed like a neat way to do so, especially because you know kids really like music and. Uh, videos and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it was pretty natural fit, actually. Now, is this your first book, or there have there been other books? No, this was my first book. I've done a lot of programming, I guess, in the past, um, and I actually worked after college for five years as a toy designer, which is, you know, I guess where my background is. So, you know, I got involved with children's products that way, and my major in college was uh, computer science, so I kind of had both backgrounds going, but this is the first time I kind of shoved them together. Toy design and, and computer science science. Yeah. It's a great combination. Uh, Andy, did you do the illustrations for this as well? I did. I did. So when I was working, um, I mean, when I was in college, I, I was a computer science major, but I did minor in um, fine art, like uh, doing oil paintings. So I did have a portfolio built up when I graduated, which is how I ended up doing toy design when I got out of school. And when I was at the toy company, I did a lot of artwork for packaging and for the graphics that went on the products. So, you know, it wasn't something that was like totally new to me. I mean, it's something I've been doing for a while as well. Are there any toys that we'd know of that feature your artwork? Well, actually, most of the toys that I did, I did I, I did the entire project from start to finish. So, I don't know, I mean, if, if people have kids, they'll know the company I work for was Melissa and Doug. So, I did a lot of the food items, they just like cutting food items. I did a sushi set. I did their entire line of travel games that they have. I did a pirate chest and a mailbox. So, I mean, if you have little kids, you, you would know the company and you might know some of these products. But otherwise, this is probably just, you know, incredibly obscure. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. A sushi set? Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, so it's um, it's like wooden, it's a wooden sushi set, um, and the sushi pieces, like where the fish is, is actually Velcro. So it's basically, it comes with a knife, and the kids, like a, a wooden knife, not a real knife, like a, a fake wooden knife, and the kids can pretend that they're cutting apart the sushi rolls, and then there's little pieces of felt, uh, ginger that stick to the Velcro pieces that are on the sushi pieces, and there's little kind of fabric wraps that you can put around that are like the seaweed wraps to hold the fish on top of some of the rice patties and things like that. <laughs> That's was, pretty amazing. I want something like that when I was younger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, toys Toys are getting nice. a lot cooler. That's that's the thing. It's like uh, you know when we grew up, it was all the classics you know that we remember. But the, it's advanced since then. There's a lot of cool stuff out there now. Andy, I'm I'm just curious about this because I was actually talking with Tyler earlier about this as well. Is what what language did you write this in? So the entire project was done in multimedia fusion. I don't know. Do you guys know what that is? I haven't heard I, of it. I have heard of it, but I haven't played with it at all. Okay, so basically, it's kind of like a visual scripting language. Um, it comes with, you know, uh, editors, so you can drop things down, essentially, so you don't have to write your own tools. And then all the programming is done through kind of like a checkbox spreadsheet to handle all the logic and everything. So it's, I mean, I it's kind of descended from click and play, which you might have heard of as well, which I kind of started with when I was in junior high or something like that. So I knew the product pretty well. And, you know, I'd gone to school for computer science, so I could have used, you know, like C++ or something. But when I started the project, I realized that something like MMF would let me get it done a lot faster than if I had to start from scratch. So the whole project was done, the, uh, the writing, the art, the music, uh, and the programming all in six months, uh, which is pretty 
pretty fast, I think. Oh, yeah. uh, and probably wouldn't have been possible had I, you know, started from scratch in C++. Well, that's, that's kind of neat that he knew C++ but decided not to use it. <laughs> All right, well, Andy, I mean, C++ is definitely, you know, more powerful, and it's definitely more flexible. But, but if you don't need all the flexibility, I guess, and freedom that it gives you, it adds a lot of extra work <laughs> to what you're doing as well. Yeah. All right, Andy, the final question before we uh, let you go here. Why do you think you should win the PAX 10? Um, you know, I'm not sure I should. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my project is definitely weird, right? Like, it's not really a game. Um, I mean, I guess it's as close as a game to, like, what kids that age can handle. And there is a, a little memory game built in. I mean, I think it's really cool that they decided to kind of show it off in the PAX 10 to show that there are things for other age groups and that people are doing stuff. But I don't know, you know, I mean, I think it's voted on, right, by the by the people that are at the show, yeah. Um, yeah. which are not really my demographic. Unless there's, you know, a large uh, Dora the Explorer convention going on next door while PAX 10 is happening and I can convince them all to come over. I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm really going to win. So, you know, I, I just think it's really cool that they're kind of, you know, spreading out a little bit and showing kind of the breadth of kind of what independent software can be in games. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know if it would even be appropriate for me to take home the Audience Choice Award uh, because I, I don't think it is really the audience's choice. <laughs> in any sense for the, for this group at least I, I do have to say though um, I was playing the memory game and I still haven't for the last half hour been able to beat Pop yeah he's pretty game. tricky I mean to be honest to be honest, I kind of left that in for the parents if they end up trying it, just to see if the parents could play it. So the, the interesting thing about his AI is he essentially plays a perfect memory game. He, he doesn't cheat, but he never forgets any tiles. And if he doesn't have a match that he knows, he'll never pick one that he already knows. He always picks an unrevealed tile, which gives him a really high percentage chance of making a match. So to beat him, you essentially have to play a perfect game of memory yourself, and, and you have to be lucky. Because essentially, I mean, you go first, so you, you have a slight advantage maybe but really you have to play perfectly and also just happen to flip over the right tiles to not give him easy matches does um, he know what you flip over oh yeah yeah definitely so yeah if the baby setting baby only remembers tiles that baby flipped over himself and doesn't take into account when he flips over his first tile if he knows the tile or not the medium difficulty remembers all of his own moves and i think 50 percent of your own moves and he has like a 50 percent chance of flipping over a tile that he doesn't know. So it's kind of, you know, it gradually gets a little bit smarter as you go on to the point where, yeah, I mean, the, the, the hardest difficulty is essentially appropriate for an adult to play if they were still interested in playing the memory game. <laughs> like Andy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, I played a lot of it <laughs> when I was making it. I mean, it, it wasn't horrible to play. The funny thing is that the kids can do better at it than the adults usually, which makes sense. I mean, kids generally do better at memory type uh, games than adults anyway, because your memory starts to go downhill after a certain point, which is surprisingly early. <laughs> I think it's, you know, like 20 or something when your memory starts reversing. I can agree to that. <laughs> I'm sorry, wait, what were we talking about? Yeah. But Andy, thank you very much for this interview. It's great to actually see there's some smarts behind a kid's book. Wasn't expecting that. But thank you very much for the interview, and I hope you have a blast at PAX. All right, thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to just kind of hanging out and meeting the other people and, uh, you know, seeing the sites, playing the games, and talking to people. Yeah, PAX is, is one heck of a show. I'm, you're going to have a lot of fun. Cool, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And my, my wife is actually coming along, too, so it should be fun. She's going to help me man the booth. Well, thank Wonderful. you very much, and I guess we'll see you there. All right, see you there. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was eight out of... 
the PAX 10. No, I was only there for seven because there was a slight scheduling conflict, but that's fine. What did you think, Andy? It was kind of interesting to actually see the amount of thought that goes behind indie games. And money and time. And yeah. it, you think some... of indie games, I think of like the guys like I was doing back in high school and just programming the little games onto my TI-80 plus calculator. But these games are rather sophisticated. Oh, yeah. So, Andy, do you know which one you're going to vote for? I don't know because I haven't had a chance to actually play all of them, especially like the Wii one and the iPhone one. Can't. I can't. I don't know who I'm going to vote for. I have to, I have to play them all. Yeah. They're like Pokemon. You just have to get all. Gotta them. catch them all. Yeah. What, which, which one? No clue. Okay. Don't, don't even ask. No idea. All I know is that I'm going to be spending a lot of time around that PAX 10 booth because those guys were awesome. Everyone we talked to was just fantastic. Oh, yeah. And I, I'd like to thank all of them for all the time that they gave us. Definitely. Oh, yeah. People from Czech Republic, Singapore, Denmark, both East and West Coast. It was... So, hopefully, you guys enjoyed the episode, and hopefully, we will see you at PAX. Andy and I will be there sporting fabulous RA podcast buttons. We will? Yes, we will. They came in the mail today. Andy will be the most noticeable person at PAX, also one of the most difficult to find. Yep. He will be, again, wearing the Waldo costume. Yep. So if you see him, that's our podcast, and I'm probably near him. Yeah. So, All right. see you guys there.